Morrison let it rip and now shelves are bare. Ideology versus policy versus politics on COVID. And was Djokovic's COVID test result altered? This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am your host, Ben Davison, and joining me from the awesomeness of our little study <laughs> is the great, the glorious, best-selling author and regular appearance, uh, contributor to Today and the Marcus Paul Show on 2SM and Guardian columnist and award-winning playwright and, 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 and mother of Germanicus, <laughs> Van Batum. How are you, Van? I'm very grateful for the opportunity to achieve things in my life, but I have never given birth to a dash hound. And I realise it is surprising for some of our listeners. I posted a photo of Germanicus on the Marcus Paul Show Facebook page today, uh, responding to a call out for cute puppy pics and I think people were under the impression that with the big growly bark that he was a Labrador or something he's not he's called Germanicus because he is of course the conqueror of the tribes of the Rhine um, and a little German um, dash hound and and truly the love of our lives I think (laughs) he's having a little nap on my lap at the moment he's been very protective recently I think he always knows when I've been heavily trolled yes and look just just to be perfectly clear I mean mother of Germanicus in the same way as mother of dragons not (laughs) Not literally birthing the dog. Good, over here. good to know. That's a healthy thing to acknowledge in a relationship. Uh, ben and I are in a very good mood, of course, because we did ask our followers if they were enjoying the show and they wanted to make a contribution because people have asked us, how can we help you? Well, we have set up a Buy Me A Coffee account and we have acquired all of these subscribers to the show who support us in order to keep the show free. We obviously always want to make this podcast free because we understand that not everybody has the dollars to pay for it and the things we have to say are more relevant to those without the dollars than those with the billions who we are coming after. Um, But people have been supporting the show and we're so grateful for that and we will do a roll credits of the people who supported us at the end of the episode. That's right. And you can, of course... Support at any time. You can jump on to buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. Links will be in all of our social media posts. I've I have to say, Van, I've been blown away by the level of level of support that people have given us over the last few days. That we've only had the supporter page up for a few days and already uh, it's just been so humbling to see people and the and the really lovely comments. The really lovely yeah, comments. Yeah, the comments are wonderful. And obviously the money we raise goes into the show Absolutely. and our production costs. You may notice, everyone, that the sound is a little better today because we invested in a new compressor so or protocol or something. I don't do the technical stuff. <laughs> There's something that we did that now makes it easier for us to do and our supporters made that possible. Are you also make it possible for us to advertise the show and reach the people who may need to hear the message of the show, which is capitalism is terribly unfair. We need to raise a people's army and seize control of the state. That is a hilariously funny socialist joke, everyone, not actually building an army, just a mass movement. That's right, a mass democratic movement of people who stand up for what's right. Yes, Ben and I are, and we cannot say this enough, democratic socialists. We like our socialism supported by the majority of people through democratic means. And let's let's use that to springboard into today's topics, fam, because I think what a lot of Australians have been wrestling with over the last week... Is and- why don't we have socialism when we clearly need it so much? Well, let's just go through a bit of a national summary, right? Because we're going to talk about COVID because Morrison and... The boy prince of New South Wales, Dominic Perrottet, ah. had decided to let it rip. Ah. We're all going to have this beautiful Christmas, and then we just work our way through 
uh, post Christmas, a little bit of an uptick in. We COVID. just push through, Ben. Just push through. Just push through because it's not like an invisible killer virus flattening the planet, except it is, it- and everybody is dropping like flies. Last week, you may remember Ben and I were a bit ill, and we burned up the last of our rapid antigen tests uh, because we wanted to make sure we didn't infect anybody. If we had the virus, we didn't go out. We did all the right things, and it turned out that we actually had a seasonal flu, and one of the things that is has been really concerning and one of the reasons why there's been a shortage of mm. rapid antigen tests is that what you're told of the symptoms of coronavirus are and the Omicron variant are the same as seasonal flu, except the seasonal flu we got over in a couple of days with a bit of limb sip and resting, not ended up in hospital, unlike friends of ours who had the truly delightful experience of having to hospitalise their child because they were infected with the virus. And, of course, it took days for them to get a positive result. Yes, it's been staggeringly poor, the management of the pandemic in 2022, and we're only 12 days into it. Great. Fantastic. Betty White is dead. There are no saints left. Let's run through some of this because there's a heap of information and people are undoubtedly getting overwhelmed by the sheer volume of it. So what we've tried to do is just distill down some of the key things for us to be conscious of. And then really, Van, I think we need to talk about what do we do next what is the political situation and how do people keep themselves safe? I want to start this by saying right off the bat that anybody who is in a workplace, who is in an unsafe working environment, you do have rights. And the best way to make sure you've got those rights enforced is to be a part of your union. Now, whether you're in the union or not, you have rights, but the best way to enforce your rights is to have the backup and support of your union. So I'd encourage you to jump online now, go to australianunions.org.au slash wow. You can join your union if you're not already a member. If you go to australianunions.org.au, there's all the information you need there about your workplace health and safety rights. Because at the moment, there's a lot of talk about COVID and what it means in your workplace and how it impacts you and what you can and can't do and when you can and can't go to work. And we need to talk about some of that in some detail because it is absolutely devastating workplaces right around the country. There's hundreds of thousands, millions of people off work at the moment, either because they've got COVID, we're now at nearly 800,000 people with COVID in Australia, or exposed to it through close contact, someone in their household, for example. Well, this is the thing. It's touching everybody's lives. You know, it used to be... It, it, it used to be that, you know, the, the chains of um, the degrees of separation between those who'd had the virus and everybody else were quite long, yeah. and that's just not true anymore. Um, Ben's mother has tested positive for the virus, so it's now part of our daily lives. You can imagine with my mother unwell, I have her under house arrest with my cousin as like a guard dog to prevent her <laughs> from coming into contact with the virus. It's absolutely terrifying because she's immunosuppressed and anybody else who's in that situation, our heartfelt empathy goes out to you and how terrifying that situation is. You know, like I said, we've got friends, people I work with, their parents, their children. It's absolutely terrifying what's going on and it's just taking more and more workers out of, oh, it turns out, Ben, We've got a really integrated economy where we're interdependent and we actually all rely on one another to keep the whole show going. Well, this is the interesting thing. So let's talk about that because what we're seeing now is undeniable proof that a healthy economy requires healthy people. Oh, no this, way. This false, Gosh, what a shock. This false dichotomy that has been perpetuated, not just during the pandemic, but really for the last few decades, that, you know, you've got to have a healthy economy to have a healthy society. Well, actually, the inverse is true. And let me just touch some of these numbers and, and put them out there. Because, I love it when Ben touches numbers. Because it's, it's very, very telling. So- In meat and chicken processing, up to 50% of line workers either have COVID or have been exposed. That means there are shortages of chicken and some meat products in supermarkets right around the country, and including at, most outrageously possibly of all, from my perspective, 
I may be in a minority here, but at KFC. I know this is affecting you deeply. Ben's sense of chaos and instability has overwhelmed him with the news that they are out of chicken at KFC. But you've got some good you've got some good news for the end of the show about potential potential light on the horizon (laughs) as it relates to KFC. And we may no longer be at the mercy of the chicken barons and big chicken. chicken. That's right. We'll come back to that though. But there is a serious issue here, right? Because it also means that in supermarkets, up to 50% of logistics workers, truck drivers, warehouse workers, shelf stackers, COVID or COVID exposed, off the job. So you're seeing shelves Empty, not just because in say meat processing the meat's not. There's no processed. one to process the meat. There's no one, but in in the in the there's no one to drive the trucks. There's no one to stock the shelves. We're seeing. Wow, Ben, are you telling me that the working class actually support this entire country with their labour? Amazing. And I, if only somebody had pointed that out, perhaps in a manifesto written in 1848. <laughs> well, this is the really just devastating truth of. Our society, isn't it? Because I worked as a shelf stacker, as have many millions of Australians over the last 30 years. And I can tell you, we got just above minimum wage. Like it's a minimum wage job. You know, the often the people who would come into what was then Jewel Supermarket, I don't think they even exist anymore, were not particularly nice or friendly to us. And we would you know, be there early mornings, late nights, stacking shelves, lifting, carrying, going into cold freezers, you know, and I was young and it was okay. I, you know, have moved on to other things. For some people, they'll be doing that for most of their working lives. And that is actually an essential part of modern society. Yet the people who do that work are often poorly treated underpaid and looked down upon. And, I, you know, all the stuff at the start of the pandemic, oh, these are essential workers. It's been three years. Three years we've been calling yeah, Where are people. the pay rises? That's it's right. The job security. That's right. You know, where, where are the improved occupational health and safety conditions? Where are the rapid antigen tests? So this is a crucial sector of the economy, and we recognised this three years ago when this wonderful carnival of chaos started. So they're essential workers. They keep everything going. And yet, meaningfully, their conditions have not been improved by any government legislation or any kind of tripartite forum involving their unions, businesses and the government. Correct. Because unions have been making the case that these people should be paid for and have job security. They've been making that very, very loudly. Absolutely. And yet the government has allowed them to be exposed. And what's happening now, those occupational health and safety like protections are not in place, Ben. Oh, they're dropping like flies and people are going without food. Fantastic. Well done, capitalism. Highly well organised. And let's be really clear, this extends right through. So this is even truck drivers. So now Morrison has removed the requirement for truck drivers to have regular testing because the testing was showing up that truck drivers were positive. And, of course, that meant that they were unable to continue to work because they were sick. And trucking the virus all over the country. One of the most dangerous jobs you can do is being a truck driver. And it's not only dangerous for the driver of the truck, they're on roads with other road users. Whether you're in a car or a motorcycle or a bicycle or another truck, if a truck hits you, that is not a good outcome. Nobody walks away from a truck accident in a good state, whether it's physical or mental. So, And I'd just like to remind everybody out there who's heard the rumour that Omicron is a mild variant, well, that hasn't been the experience of our loved ones with Omicron. They have been desperately sick. And these are friends of ours who are not, and Ben's mum, mm. not in hospital, but very sick, very weak, very debilitated with the onset of symptoms. So the idea that you would put somebody who might be asymptomatic but had a positive result behind the wheel of a truck and then and and then think that if symptoms came on they'd be manageable. People having fevers or vomiting or any of the other really nasty symptoms of of the onset mm. of coronavirus should not be anywhere near heavy machinery. Absolutely, and it and it, look, there are many other sectors here too. I want I want to get through them all, and then we'll get into some of the numbers because the numbers make clear what you've just said to be absolutely true, and that is that even a mild case of Omicron COVID 
is still devastating in these size numbers. So people, when it comes to Australians living with a disability, between 10 and 20% of the workforce has been impacted according to National Disability Services, a peak body for NDIS providers. NDIS providers are not able to access the national stockpile of rapid antigen tests. This is, they're out there in the marketplace trying to buy rapid antigen tests for disability workers. This is just incredible. Oh, it gets worse than that, Ben. So I was contacted by numerous uh, people this week about the the new phenomenon of awful, which is that you had the government tell various service providers that they would have to supply their own rapid antigen tests. Government would be supplying them. They had to secure their own supplies. So organisations did, various organisations, businesses, NGOs, service providers throughout the economy. But now the supplies that they secured for themselves have been requisitioned by the government. So the government told them to get their own testing kits. Yeah. They ordered them. And now the distributors have gone, it's not our fault. The government have used their powers to requisition the kits. This is this is almost unbelievable. You know, Morrison doesn't want to undercut the retail market, but at the same time, he's actually now exposing our most vulnerable Australians or some of our most vulnerable Australians to to workers who aren't able to get a test. And it's not the workers' fault when the government comes along and basically steals the test out from under them. But politicians are getting an allocation. Of oh, tests. yeah, and we'll talk and, about that. Oh, yeah, it's – I mean, I'm angry. Are you angry? Yeah, I think, yeah, pretty I think angry. most yeah, of the country is, yeah, is angry. We're pretty angry. I'm angry. So the other – you know, it goes on. It's in every sector. Early childhood centre, early childhood education centres, which is an area, as you know, Van, close to my heart, having been CEO of an organisation that ran an early childhood centre – some of the hardest work I ever did was when I would do my days, um, you know, as an early childhood care assistant, uh, as part of my program of being in each program. Massive respect for those workers. It is hard physical work as well as educationally and engaging with young people. And we just want to do a shout out to our comrades from the United Workers Union who represent early childhood and educators. And the AEU. And the AEU. These are some of the staunchest unionists in this country and their fight for like conditions and recognition is amazing. If you do work in early childhood education, absolutely join your union because that is a tribe of people who will fight for you. And What's happening in that sector? Well, at the start of the week, there were 303 early childhood services closed in New South Wales, 30 in Victoria, 29 in South Australia, 22 in Queensland, three in the ACT and one in the Northern Territory, closed because of staff being exposed to COVID. It's devastating that sector. When it comes to schools, there's lots of debate around this. Obviously, school holidays are on van. We know we can see kids out and about. Look, Queensland has already announced they're pushing back the start of school by two weeks. The rest of the country seems quite determined to go ahead with their predetermined start dates. You know, it, it's it's hard to see how this is going to work. The the stories that we're seeing out of the United States and the UK, particularly the United States, where People went back to school. They have a much shorter break for Christmas. They went back to school after New Year's and schools are closing because staff are sick. The children are getting sick. Uh, I just I just don't know how this is going to work. James Molino, Deputy Premier of Victoria, has said that every Victorian school will have their air filtration system, even if he has to drive the trucks himself to deliver them. I mean, you know, Credit for his dedication and commitment. I mean, I, they do get things done in Victoria. But that's a big call. But that's a big call, James. It's big. If that, you can do it, like, fair play, the biscuits are on us. But, I mean, one of the, the things this highlights, there are a couple of things this highlights. One, there's been no federal leadership no. on these issues. And, yes, education is a state responsibility, but we have a federal government so there can be consistent guidelines and there can be consistent systems of, you know, expertise, support and a national plan. We kept hearing there was a national plan, except there's no national plan for education. No. And we know in this country as well that children are not getting the vaccinations they're now entitled to get because 
in the national plan, there was no securing of vaccination supplies for these children. So we know people whose kids have been booked in for vaccinations mm. who are doing all the right things and can't get them because the vaccinations haven't turned up and are being told that they have to put their appointments for their children's vaccinations back and back and back, waiting for these supplies to materialise. Well, some of them are being told in some of the stories that people have sent us as late as April. You know, we're talking about people now being told that their children won't be vaccinated almost until the very end of the term. And yet we know that children can catch the disease. We know the children can get sick and die from the disease. And we know the children can pass on the disease to other people. But this is the the thing that I know you and I have really struggled with, is the Morrison Liberal government is so out of touch with how ordinary Australians lead their lives, it has not occurred to them that teachers might be in relationships with truck drivers or with healthcare workers or with shelf stackers. Or construction workers. Or construction workers they, or people who work in meat processing. They don't seem to understand that there are these vectors of infection because we're not all lawyers married to other lawyers you know, does it occur to the Morrison yeah. government, I might have my, you know, fancy column at The Guardian, but my cousin who co-cares for my mother with me is a tradie who is on different construction sites all the time. That is a member of my immediate family. Like, does it occur to the government that your family members are childcare workers? or And, like, constantly these it, – it's this absolute unawareness of how families – exist and function and have contact with one another and what intersections of family and community mean. That's what I just can't get my head around, that they don't. They think if you don't have children, you have no exposure to children yeah. or that there's no sort of chain there. Like, it, who are these people? Well, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, lawyers, lawyers married to other lawyers. Yeah, lawyers married to other lawyers, you know, and... Politicians married to other politicians, and it and it goes to, and we'll discuss this later in in the podcast. The the insular nature of the way these decisions are being made, and you know, the, when we introduced the show, it's I said ideology, policy, or politics. They're the three kind of motivating factors at the moment. And when it comes to the Morrison government, I've got to say, there's a lot of ideology, not a lot of policy. And when I say policy, I mean rigorous. There's evidence. no material reality, Ben. Yeah. This is the problem. Like, <laughs> Sorry, you're right. Are, you're right. We are in a vacuum of, of people who think that ideas dominate reality. And it's like, I think these people have overseen V for Vendetta, you know, ideas are bulletproof. No, they're not. Ideas go to pieces really quickly when reality contradicts them. You can believe in trickle-down economics all you like. You can believe in the invisible hand of the market will stroke and pat you forever. But the reality is we don't have enough vaccines. People are getting sick. Sick workers can't produce anything. If you don't produce things, they can't get delivered. Oh, and the delivery drivers are sick too. There are not things. People, there are only three meals between revolutions. That is a very, very popular comment on the left. And let me tell you, we are getting into people's army like territory with this. Like material reality is that we don't have the boosters. Only 15% of Australians have had boosters. Yeah. You and I are in that 15% Very because fortunate. we got because it's the one blessing of endometriosis was that I was able to get vaccinated very early. Like, you know, so that's a comfort. Other people who have it, there you go. And But this is the thing. There aren't enough vaccines. Children are not getting their vaccines. Vaccine appointments are being pushed back. There aren't enough rapid antigen tests. We spoke last week about how there are two Australian manu- manufacturers of rapid antigen tests who the federal government would not the tests from who are now selling to markets in America and Europe. Australians manufacturing the things we need could not get like orders secured. The Australian government to buy them so there aren't enough tests. So the virus is just going around and materially, material reality is that it is failing people. It is making people very sick, putting them in hospital, putting them on ventilators and killing them, right? And this is the thing. So you can talk about, oh, business and, oh, you know, markets, and markets are a fiction. They don't actually exist. Well, let, let, let's let's talk about the cases because we'll, we can talk. Did I just go on a rant? No, look, you know, I, mean, I love yes, it. You I know, know I love it. I know, I know. This Germa- is the basis of our relationship. Up. You saw me on the other side <laughs> of a room at a party and you thought, that's a woman who hates capitalism. <laughs> look, let's talk about the case <laughs> Because such a romance. We'll, yes, we'll, we'll come back to the economic side of it because the the case numbers are 
devastating. You know, Australia is now not just per capita uh, more infected than places in the Americas and Europe, but also just in terms of raw numbers more infected than many places in the Americas and Europe. New South Wales currently has 333,200 active cases. They believe it's much, much higher than that because many of the rapid antigen tests have not yet been counted. Uh, They've only just opened up the ability to register that. So this morning between 9 and 10.30 a.m., 2,900 positive rapid antigen tests were registered in New South Wales. There are currently 2,400, sorry, 2,242 people in hospital. Now, four weeks ago, there was 166 people. Oh, it's going bonkers. And do you know where I want everybody to cast their eyes? I want everybody to look at the nation of Ireland, my ancestral home, because what happened in Ireland was they had vaccination rates through the roof. I read one study that said, this is so Irish, they had 100%, 100 100.2% of people had been vaccinated, which is a beautiful, beautiful concept for us to appreciate. Ireland thought with their sky-high vaccination rates that they had the virus under control and Omicron hit. And now more than a million people in Ireland have had coronavirus. Now that's only a country of 5 million people, but it it just massively blew up and infections, you know, got faster and faster. They had an issue that a rapid antigen test that they had for sale turned out to um, have unstable results, so they had right. to recall it and there were various things. But now Ireland, desperate to get the situation under control, has made rapid rapid antigen tests free for anyone who is a close contact. You're a close contact, you phone the Irish National Health Service and those testing kits turn up at your house. No questions asked, free, they're providing them for you. But they went from we've got it under control, we're vaccinated, to this is a hellscape with 20% of the population having had the virus in just a matter of weeks. And, look, New South Wales is on on that track, right, because not only has the, the number in hospital increased exponentially, uh, you, you've now got 135 deaths in the last four weeks, 21 today, and that's up from 28 in the four weeks prior to that. It, there are now 5,218 healthcare workers out of action in New South Wales. How many? 5,218. 5,218 health workers who are out of action. I just want everybody to Can underline we, that. Well, underline that. Because four weeks ago it was 459. So not only have we had an exponential increase in hospitalizations, we've had an exponential increase in the number of healthcare workers who are unable to work. Now they are unable to work. And changing the definitions around close contact and changing the definitions around asymptomatic and everything else doesn't change the fact that they're unable to work. Not really. Not really. You can... Oh, material reality strikes again. It turns out if you change the words, it doesn't actually affect material reality. It's like I don't think... I'm just going to be really honest here, guys. I'm just going to lay it on the table. I don't think that magical thinking is an appropriate public policy response. We'll We'll just change the words and cast a magical spell and it'll all go away. This is the Scott Morrison attitude towards healthcare. And unfortunately, it is causing health workers to get sick. Well, Van, you're going to love this. Oh, God. Because the boy prince of New South Wales. Oh, I love him. I just love him. Has also announced, because people said... Hang on a minute, uh, Your Highness. How how are we going to get people? If to- that's a prince, monarchy is way over. Can I just say? One one can only hope. <laughs> how are we going to get people to register their rat? How are we going to get them to say I tested positive? Well, of course, Dominic Perrottet has said there'll be a thousand dollar fine if you don't register your rat. Now, anybody with any common sense is going to go. Well, firstly, I can't find one, so. Like, what am I going to register? Secondly, they're going to go, how are you going to know whether I've done it or not? And thirdly, what's my incentive here to even to even get the test now, given that if I do test positive and forget to lodge it or it gets lost in the bureaucratic nightmare that is the New South Wales government or any number of other things happen, not only am I going to lose income because there's not very much support for people who do test positive in New South Wales, I'm also up for a fine. 
is now created at disincentive for people to test and report. Absolutely. So the incentive, the perverse incentive has been created for people who suspect they might be positive to just hang about in the community because, I Don't mean. work, not get tested. Pass it on, kill my mother, you know, those kind of things. Thanks, Dom. Thanks, buddy. You know, apparently he's pro-life. I love how these pro-life guys, I love this. And I'm speaking as a pro-choice Roman Catholic here, Yeah. okay? And I'm absolutely, if you don't want an abortion, don't get one. It's yeah. very simple. And You don't want to get gay married? Don't get gay married. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Like, But Dominic Perrottet is one of those pro-life politicians who just seems to wreak death uh, yeah. through his own actions, like creating perverse incentives for people to not report Positive rapid antigen. I'm just like, yeah, well done. There seems to be something in the catechism that you're not getting, buddy. Well, like, I think I think it's I think it's ideological. Ideological, really. Ah, uh, it's off the chart ideological. It is nonsense land. It is policy for nonsense land. It is policy for an act of will. I say the words and it just magically happens. His Highness did. His Highness did admit that enforcing that particular law would probably be beyond the state of New South Wales. Oh, well, I'm glad he admitted that. It'd be on the state of New South Wales unless we can control people with our minds. Yeah. So, look, let's talk about some of the other states as well because we've had <sighs> numbers, I was going to say results, like it's some kind of, you know, um, song contest. But It is a song <laughs> contest though, Victoria, isn't it? Victoria currently has 209,700 cases. It's an arts festival of disease. 946 people hospitalised, 21 people passed today. 6,600 healthcare workers today are offline, 6,600, to, to try and boost the numbers of healthcare workers. Uh, the Victorian government is asking first-year uh, health and first social, year students. social workers to take up vaccination positions and asking retired nurses to come out of retirement. Uh, they're being drafted in to help effectively. Queensland, 81,600 active cases, 555 people in hospital, 30 in ICU. Let it rip, then. Tasmania, 8,800 active cases. Just let cases. it rip. Let it rip. South Australia. I mean, the economy is really important. South Australia's caseload today is about the same as the total number of active cases in Tasmania. Let it rip. Just let it rip. It's It's become... Just devastating. And that let it rip mentality, Van. You know, remember the arguments were all about the economy. And, oh, yeah. and, and you know, His Royal Highness. Got to keep the, things open, Ben. The, the, the Prince of New South Wales um, pointed out that a strong society needs a strong economy. This was his whole thing. Remember oh, the very first thing he said? I just, I can't. The very first thing he said when he was appointed by his party to to rule over the people of New South Wales. Yes, the unelected prince. He he said a strong society requires a strong economy. So let's think about that ideology because now they've let it rip and they've had it ripping for four, five weeks. The numbers are through the roof. Hospitalizations are through the roof. Supply chains are collapsing. It's it's a devastation. So what does it really mean? Like It means that they don't understand that an economy is built of three systems, production, distribution, and exchange. And for those three systems to work, people have to actually exist in a productive capacity to do those things. You cannot sell things if there are no workers to make them. You cannot distribute them if there are no workers to drive them around. You cannot exchange them if shops have no staff. Like I got an email today from the I got from the book publishing industry. There are not enough people to sell books in bookstores. Like no one is safe in this supposed economy. And I'm just like, you know, these are the people because I remember when the AFR, the Australian Financial Review, was really pushing the let grandma die school of yeah. uh, of you know ideological responses to coronavirus. Well, these people have used up their productive lives. Is it really a problem if they drop dead? As if grandma couldn't give a whole bunch of other people the disease before she popped her mortal coil and had no intrinsic value as a human being. Yeah, I mean, this was the thing, and there were the people who were like, "My dad's lived a good life." He can go now, like yeah. kind of thing. And this is you don't take policy advice from those people. That's not Well, here's the upshot, right? Because you've touched on some some examples. What existential fear. I've touched on some existential fear. But here's here's what it really means, right? Because in 
in the Australian economy, in the Australian economy right now, Sydney, Sydney's economic activity is at its lowest point since the pandemic started. It is worst. Let it rip is worse economically than anything we've done, worse oh, than any lockdown. What a surprise. In, in Melbourne, it's the worst it's been since the first round of Delta lockdowns. Across the country, our overall economic activity is the worst it's been since the first round of Delta lockdowns. <laughs> we would be better off locking down economically, just, just even using just the AFR metrics. Just like let's put aside the idea that human beings are human beings and have intrinsic value. It's hard for us to do. I mean, we know that the AFR do that all the time. Every day. I imagine that that's probably printed on the wall somewhere, big <laughs> letters, type type 52 font, everyone's office. Like, wouldn't be surprised if it's the screensaver. I am so glad I'm hugging the puppy right now, can I but just say? If you, put all, if you put away the idea that human beings are human and therefore have intrinsic value and simply go, well, Economically, we have to grow. We're not doing that. We're going backwards. Economic activity is down. Not only is economic activity down, not only is economic activity down, consumer confidence is down. No way. Isn't that a surprise? No way. Consumer (laughs) confidence is down because we all think that, oh, I don't know, the situation is out of control. The government do not care. Business has no solutions. All of the commentators who pushed this ridiculous state of affairs, like we are in Fox News territory of reality denial, and this is a real problem in the the right-wing media. Mm. This is the problem, that they get on these bandwagons and there's a bit of a competition for who can say the most extreme nonsense. Oh, well, you know, I don't mind if my dad dies, you know, that kind of, that, that school of just you know, extremist rabble rousing that they go on with. So all the old boys who read those newspapers and go, yeah, kill grandma, you know, kind of that's what it is. And the problem is that they they live in a discursive bubble where you have liberal politicians whose only lens on, on Australian society beyond Parliament House mm. is and, you know, party fundraisers is what gets said in the AFR and the Australian, and they mistake that for reality. And that they think that that's the context in which they can make policy decisions, you know, well, that somehow because these commentators are telling them to do it, that that's what they should do. Well, it's an absolute monster now. It's become the ideology has ignored the the material realities of policy. It's It's being eaten alive by its own politics, and now it's just it's a multi-headed hydra of a monster because all of that economic data, consumer confidence being tanked, job vacancies through the roof because people are so sick then and not looking for work now. It's hard to get staff because people are genuinely worried. They're now saying in New South Wales and Queensland, they're trying to get people who who have been exposed to COVID but are asymptomatic to go back to work in a whole range of industries. That's what they're saying now. They want you to go back to work. In Queensland, they're saying you've got to return a negative rat test on day six and you can be released out of quarantine. New South Wales, it's quite a bit looser than that. Uh, It's quite broad, what is considered critical in the economy as well, everything from general manufacturing to agriculture to utilities to health workers uh, National Cabinet is going to meet shortly to have this discussion about how do we keep the workforce working. Sally McManus has made this point really, really strongly that weakening workplace protections absolutely has to be rejected. The Australian Union movement is not going to accept the idea that people who are sick or who are carrying a virus should be going into the workplace and spreading that virus to other people. And endangering the entire workplace. Exactly. You and I have seen this with the symptoms of Omicron. Like very, very sick people should not operate heavy machinery or have responsibility that could impact their health and safety of other people. We put instructions like that on cold and flu medication. Yeah. And yet we are, like the National Cabinet is going to make a decision about that risk somehow being acceptable with people who are breaking out in fevers and vomiting and being sick. Like, my God. Can I just, I just want to tell a little story, right? Once upon a time, there was an event called the Great Depression, and it was really bad. The world had never seen anything like it. The, va- you know, the value yeah. of money disappeared overnight. 
People lost their jobs. It was absolutely shocking. Australia had one of the highest rates of unemployment in the world. A third of the working population of Australia was unemployed. People were living in caves in the National Park um, south of Sydney because they were evicted from their homes because they couldn't pay rent. And the governments of the day had absolutely no policy solutions how to deal with it, and it got worse and worse and worse. Now, with the advent of Keynesianism, which was governments spend money and governments, you know, pay yeah. dolls and things and that gets economies moving, like what people came to understand was that the orthodoxy of their thinking about how you focused on paying off debts and somehow depressions would end rather than spending money and generating economic activity. People understood that that was the, the correct policy response to that particular event. And during World War II, when they were all spending money because they were trying to stop Nazis from killing them, so they were spending money on tanks and guns and anything that blew up, right, they saw that policy of investment in action. And it set the framework for economic orthodoxy for 30 years. And even though fundamentally the Liberal Party of Australia is committed to free enterprise and free markets and the rest of it, you had governments like the Menzies government who actually governed from a framework that had set been set by the Curtin and Chifley Labor governments because they knew that the impending disaster was reversing that orthodoxy and taking people back to the conditions of the Great Depression. If you are a government, your responsibility, whether you are centre-left, centre-right or indifferent, is to govern for your population's best interest and keep your people safe and alive. The current Morrison Liberal government has no social historical memory of those disasters. It has engaged in such such comprehensible cultural whitewashing and willful belief in history that the idea that actually reality might depend on you abandoning some planks of your ideology so Australians do not suffer like that is beyond them. So we are all prisoners of a government who rather than govern want to believe in their own myth-making and fairy stories, and it is outrageous. And it is totally by choice, oh. totally by choice, totally by it's choice. It's not because of evidence. Right now the union movement's saying we could be making rats here, we could be making more of them, we could be distributing them, we could make them free to people, we could be making masks. We shut down. We had, for a moment in the pandemic, we were making vaccines here, CSL Laboratories in Melbourne, a formerly government-owned company, now a very large publicly listed company, making vaccines. They stopped doing it because the government stopped ordering from CSL here in Australia. There is just example after example. Free rats, as you said, being delivered to politicians' offices. So every every MP in the country can be tested, not their constituents, just the MP. You know, it Labor is, MPs have been donating theirs. That's Chris fantastic. Minns, yeah, Chris Minns is the leader of the Labor Party in New South Wales, donated his supply to like a local charity so people would be able to, to get them. But, I mean, it is, it is disgusting. It and, is absolutely disgusting. And, Van, Jim Stanford from the Centre for Future Work has described it as snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, that Australia was well positioned, that the early neo-Keynesian-style interventions, you know, yes, there were problems with JobKeeper, but it did put money into the economy, it did put money into people's pockets, lifting the rate of job seeker. <laughs> All of the things that happened earlier in the pandemic. They were actually a, a recipe for ongoing prosperity. Yeah. But those cash Free childcare. Oh, my God. So those things that helped keep us safe, that meant people were able to focus on staying well, all those things being stripped away, and now this ideological position means that we're now in a worse position than the US, the UK, and Europe. And, you know, it's funny because- Sometimes Morrison likes to try and go, oh, well, this is Labor playing politics or this is the left playing politics. Well, i got to tell you. Yes, because it's a political system. No, and it, if you're not playing politics, you're not turning up. But my point here, Van, my point here is not only is it not just that it is a political system, it's not as though 
the only people who are critical of this approach are on the left because people like Janet Albrechtson, who is not someone I would usually quote. No, no, not really, except in a good can you believe what Janet Albrechtson wrote today, which I have heard you say more than once. Or can you believe that she has written that Morrison is a populist drunk more focused on low-rent politics than sensible policy? It is amazing how when material reality actually starts to ooze under your own doorway, how suddenly uh, policy prescriptions become a lot more practical than ideology. A former Abbott advisor. Janet, whoever in your family is sick, I hope they get well soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we don't want anybody to be sick. I mean, no, this is of the course point, not. Right? Like, and I want to just, I just want to add to this that even Abbott advisors have said that he would have been better to keep a lid on the number of cases because now millions of Australians will have it and it might create some industrial issues. It might create some industrial well, issues. it absolutely is. Because people are realising their labour power and people are going, hey, you know, if I don't work and my colleagues don't work and this work site shuts down, that means we actually interrupt the food supply. That's kind of a powerful realisation to make. So on that note, I want to again remind people you need to join your union. Join your union now. Because right now, Morrison is watering down and trying to water down the protections that you have in the workplace. People sometimes forget, I think, Van, that, that during the Great Depression, that era that you talked about, not that long ago, less than 100 years ago, people didn't have annual leave. They didn't have workplace health and safety laws. They didn't have all of the rights that we often take for granted now. They didn't have sick leave, that's for sure. No. You know, there was no social security. Not really. What? Why do we have those things now? Because unions fought for them, Ben. Absolutely. Working people banded together and said, we are the economy. We are the society. What is in our interest is in the national interest. There is no nation without the citizens of it. That's what we need to do again. There are right now, there are union leaders like Sally McManus, Michelle O'Neill, Michael Caine, all sorts of union leaders around the country in from the AEU to the to the Meat Workers Union, making the case to protect working people, to protect our communities. And your voice, add your voice to theirs. The, the more voices are in that collective, the louder that voice is, the harder it is for Morrison to ignore. Australian unions .org.au slash wow. That's where you join your union. And encourage other people to join the union as well. I mean, we know that a lot of people worry about their kids and their kids at work. And if your kid is in hospitality, there is a union for them. If they're in retail, there is a union for them. If they're in early childhood education or distribution or anything else, there is a union for them. Encourage them. If your family has no history, cultural history of unionism, it doesn't matter. You know, if if it has never occurred to you to join a union before, or, or you don't it's think it's never too late, it's never too late. You know, the only union membership you're ever late to is your first one. That's right. All right, and you are part of our movement because you work. That's right. Working people are working people, whether they're in a job or looking for a job, or can't find a job, or have retired from a lifetime of working service. Join your union. Look, I think we need to leave the COVID thing there. This is this is an ideological political roller coaster that, you know, one expert I saw today said you would be very brave to try and predict the peak of Omicron at this point. And I and I think that's right. I don't know where we're going to end up. <laughs> We've been doing this show for nearly 18 months. And every episode almost has had a COVID element. I'm sorry about that. Hopefully, we're not repeating ourselves too much. But these messages are important. Do share them. Do talk to your friends and family. I want to move on to another big story. I wasn't going to talk about this guy any more than I already had on the weekend rap because I think really his ego doesn't need any more pumping up uh, through any kind of exposure. But Novak Djokovic has forced our hand in a way, Van. He made statements today uh, that fly in the face of some evidence that was emailed to us by one of our listeners uh, that was found in Der Spiegel, which is a German newspaper, which has an international brand, Der Spiegel International. I love Der Spiegel. Everybody should read Der Spiegel. It's not Murdoch-owned. It's a very independent um, kind of publication. And it raises the question, was Djokovic Djokovic's test results 
altered. Now, it asks this question because the Spiegel has recognized that there are QR codes on the test results that come out of Serbia. And that the De Spiegel scanned the QR code for the test from December 16 and realized some strange things. Because at 1 p at 1.19 p.m. on Monday of this week, Central European time, the test result from the scan was test result negative. Uh, and that would have totally undermined Djokovic's case. Djokovic's case to stay in Australia is that on December 16th, he had a positive PCR test and is therefore currently in an immune state to COVID-19 and is therefore able to come in under Australian law. And a judge found that to be true. This has been the basis of his legal case. Since that case, since him winning that legal case, the Spiegel has found this this test result. Now, about an hour later, at 2.33 p.m. on Monday, Central Eastern European time, they scanned the QR code again and got a different result that said test result positive. Very, very strange. Yes, isn't that bizarre? And there are screen caps so available. So the same QR code? Same QR code. Mm. Changed it. It, it. it had changed. Now, the other element of this is that Djokovic said that on December 22nd, he took a PCR test that was negative, right? That essentially he had undergone his period of isolation and all the rest of it. Now, why are we talking about this? Partly because this is very interesting information and partly because Novak Djokovic has today issued statements that said, yes, he did a test on the 16th, but he didn't get the results until after an event on the 17th. It wasn't this with young players? Uh, it was like some prize ceremony for young players. I'm happy to be – I believe that there was an event involving Novak Djokovic and young players. So he did he did events anyway. He certainly did events. And I know he also did an interview as well with Lequip, for example. Now, he says he knew he had COVID by the time he did the Lequip interview later on the 17th. So maybe the, the younger uh, players was earlier in the day. But what the De Spiegel article contends is that he got – the test results, he did the test. He did the test at about 1.05 p.m. on December 16th and that the results came out seven hours later at around 8 p.m. Serbian time, Central European time. That's before the event on the 17th of December. So he knew what his status was before the event. That's what De Spiegel is, is strongly indicating in their right. article, right. That, that it was known... Whatever the outcome, whatever the outcome of that test on the sixteenth of December was, the person who took that test was aware of that because the results came out prior to it turning over midnight plus one minute for the seventeenth. Now he either knew he didn't have COVID and went to an event because he didn't think he had COVID, or he knew he did have COVID and, and went, went anyway, to an event and, and spread it anyway, and is potentially lying to us now. But it gets even more weird because the Spiegel... Because he lives in Monaco and pays no tax. Well, that's... People know that about Novak Djokovic, right, that he lives in a, you know, multi-million dollar mansion in Monaco and doesn't actually contribute and, any taxation. And the, Australian, and the Australian media has been very focused on him going to Spain and possibly London and then Serbia and have you been elsewhere? Big adult man whose parents fight all of his battles for him. I mean, that's, that's what really weird. gets me. I'm just like, why are we giving visas to to adults whose parents have to speak on their behalf? But, Van, here's another twist in the tale, and this is where I think the Spiegel have done such great work and, you know, the Australian media hopefully will get onto this and, and we'll post some stuff on social media that hopefully sparks some more interest in this because – the test on the December 22nd, the identification number assigned to the test is 50,000 digits lower than the test that was undertaken on the 16th of December. So what does that mean? That means that somehow or another, the test on December 22nd occurs before the test on December 16th 
in the way numbers work. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, that's ten. That's the te- technical term, everybody. The you know, way numbers work. In the, con- the numbers are consecutive. Like that system, like all systems, like many, many systems, you know, you have test number one, test number two, test number three. Test number 50,000. Test number 50,000. The other thing that the Spiegel has found is that between the 16th of December and the 22nd of December, Serbi- the Serbian government publicly reported that there had been about 50,000 tests. So they posit, the Spiegel article posits, that there is potentially the test results were switched, that actually he did a test on the 16th and was negative. So he went to his events on the 17th because he didn't have COVID. But then he retested on the 22nd and was actually positive. This is a... This is a Quiet. Spoiled, indulged <laughs> child who's bratting it up all over the world, who is just a despicable human being. And, you know, I just – I love tennis. You know this. Yeah, I know you really like it. I can't – I mean, I, I don't really care for it myself. We describe ourselves as like a bilingual household because we speak the language of sport and art. And I love tennis. Like I'm into it. And I try to get to Australian Open games when, you know, there's not yeah. visible killer virus that could murder my mother. And I'm into it. But I'm not into it so much that I think, you know, talent as a tennis player excuses you from being a responsible adult and, human being. And let's and let's look at the realities around this, right? Novak Djokovic, we know, has powerful friends in the Serbian government. The Serbian Prime Minister was on a call with the Australian Prime Minister about the Novak Djokovic case. The Serbian government has publicly and privately lodged complaints about the treatment of Novak Djokovic. We know that the Djokovic family certainly have conduits to communicate with the Serbian government. So this concept that the Spiegel have put forward, now they've put this concept to the Djokovic camp and had no response. And, I mean, what kind of response can you have? Because the way this plays out in my mind is either there's almost no way that somebody somewhere isn't lying, right? Either he's lying about not knowing that he had COVID, which is pretty despicable, but possibly, in a weird way, kind of like the least bad thing. Oh, lying about having an infectious disease that I might have spread to other people is the most morally neutral thing I've done today. That's not good. Uh, No. Or he's potentially lying about when he got the disease in order to facilitate his visa application and still potentially spreading it around, by the way, because he was out and about. I'm just my days just consist of stress aneurysms. Now. It's it's a very it's a very full on thing. Now this could all be wrong, right? There could be some kind of series. Now it wouldn't just be one. It'd have to be a series of administrative snafus within the Serbian government. It's possible. It's possible. Right? And Dish Beagle point out, we've put these questions. We're not getting any answers. This is the I mean, evidence that we have. I mean, answers would be good, right? Answers would be good. An investigation with some answers would clear up a lot of international misunderstanding and mistrust at this point. At this point, I have to say my personal view, my personal opinion, based on what I can see, is that there is certainly a case to be answered. There are questions to be asked, Ben. And, and serious answers need to be obtained from the Serbian government, from Novak Djokovic, uh, from the testing facility. Because at the moment, this looks like a terrible, terrible case of trying to facilitate a sporting, a national sporting hero. No, it's about trying to facilitate the privilege of an individual over the responsibilities of a collective, and that's not okay. Like, it doesn't matter how talented you are. He had a a stamp ceremony to attend, Van. A stamp ceremony. That was one of the things that he he had to attend in December, as I understand it. Yeah. A stamp ceremony. Yeah. He's on a stamp. In Serbia. Yeah. Oh, God. So when we say this is a guy who's got some connections to the government, like, he's literally on their stamps. Uh, so, look, that's- Do you know what I love about taxation? Can I talk about taxation for a moment? Sure. Right. The principle of taxation is that at some point you are recallable to the collective 
at all times. And, you know, as we like to say in this house, socialism does not limit how high you can fly. It does limit how hard you can fall. You are no less of a great tennis talent if you make that contribution. But there's a psychological principle with taxation as well. It is a constant reminder that you must pay back what you owe to people and you just can't have limitless self-indulgence. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I get and it. And anybody who avoids tax, I automatically put in a not-to-be-trusted category well, for I, that reason because they have no accountability to anybody else. Well, can I just say that I think the idea that you would put somebody on <sighs> your nation's stamp who doesn't pay tax in your country. Is a bit silly. Yeah, no, that's kind of out there. It's a bit silly, right? Anyway, that's that's the only reason I wanted to talk about Djokovic today was because that he has now added more information to this pile of- <laughs> This pile of stinking information. And this De Spiegel article really cuts against everything he has said today. And we'll put up some links so people can see it. It's- a remarkable, a remarkable thing that has happened this morning in my inbox to have Novak Djokovic say this is what actually happened, and then the people go, "Well, that's not what the paper trail says." Because here's a bunch of screen caps, here's a bunch of documents. Um, it's really quite disturbing. Now, Van, we have gone long today, so let's have some good news. And I'm excited because it's sort of about KFC. Well, actually, I've got two pieces of good news. Okay. Three. One. Two. Two pieces of good news. One, my Guardian piece has been published while we've been chatting. Oh, fantastic. And the Three title pieces is Australia is in a Clayton's COVID lockdown and an unworn pink dress is haunting me. So look it up. Uh, no, there's more good news. I'm on the Today Show tomorrow for news chat at 6.45 in the morning and obviously I'll post the links. Uh, that's also really good news as far as I'm concerned. Fantastic. More good news is in Germany, you know, a bit of a German theme, Germanicus, the De Spiegel investigation. In Germany, they have retained their manufacturing sector. Amazingly, they didn't let mm. um, their manufacturing sector be offshored to authoritarian dictatorships that exploit workers uh, en masse. In Germany, they have produced a rapid antigen test vending machine. Fantastic. So whenever you want a rapid antigen test, you can buy one from a German-made vending machine. Imagine. And they're, and they're like a euro, right? The, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it's hilarious. Um, the other thing is, this is the good news for Ben, a chicken shortage at KFC is terrifying, but KFC are getting on the Beyond Meat train yep. and they are making plant-based chicken. Plant-based chicken. Plant-based chicken is a thing. So it's going to roll out this year. That means vegetarians and vegans who are our cousins, if if <laughs> not our brothers and sisters, um, Ben and I are meat eaters, as you've probably guessed. Um, but I do love an Impossible Burger. As you well, do. You know? yeah, I yeah. think Impossible Burgers are better than beef burgers. I wouldn't be surprised if this is the kind of KFC you end up eating, actually. Yeah, yeah. So Kentucky Fried Chicken will now sell plant-based chicken to replace their famous chicken breasts. So that's a thing. Um, and obviously because we know the treatment of chickens in factory farming is, is pretty awful. bad. Yeah. They worked with Beyond Meat to do this and their other the other companies in that group, which are Pizza Hut and Taco Bell, they're also bringing in plant-based meat equivalents. Wow. Yeah, and I've got to say, if you haven't, if you've never had an Impossible Burger, you should have one. Make sure it has real cheese, though, unless you're vegan, in which case I'm not going to force you to eat cheese because I don't believe in affirming yeah. a culture of diet control. I think people should eat what they want. But I made the decision that to cut down my meat consumption, and I do love a burger as well. You know, <laughs> indeed, um, that that's what I was going to do. So I'm into that. I think that's really good news. Yeah, I think that's great news. I mean, you know, I'll I'll give it a go. I, I won't promise to make the permanent switch. You don't have to promise to like it. But I will. But the fact you've promised to give it a go. I will give it a go. That's why you're the man for me. Well, you got to try these things out. You, you do. You got to give it. A, you got to. You got to give it a go. You got to accept the material realities in which you live. I love material reality. <laughs> I'm right. so into material reality. Van. All right. Now we get to do the really fun part. This um, is this is awesome, right? Because the what we're going to do now is we're going to. We're going to give shout-outs to the people who have supported the show. And for those of you who haven't checked it out yet, buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. You can, you, you can see the people who have done this. They've left messages as well. Uh, you can take out a 
$5 a month, $10 a month, $20 a month. You can just buy us a coffee. And we spend it, obviously, all on the show. Absolutely. So the the first list of people, the very first list of people. We call this our cadre because that's how we roll. We'd like to thank Leona Gibbons, Narissa Simon, at Catagal, Lauren and Ash, Matthew, Narungaman, John Sharpen, Peter Barth, Aaron Rollins, Louise Watson, and Kara and Will Robinson. I love the fact this show is supported by Will Robinson. Thank you. And the great Lost in Space fans at this end. And those who are extending our reach, Stuart Munn, Steph, Rachel Fitzpatrick, Peter O.C., Linda, Sam Hadid, Kip Patterson, Lizette Twizzle, Bunkum Basher, Katie Ward, Daniel Slavin, at the Real Neville Longbody, Sandy Baumgart, at Not Sandy B, Melody Patterson, Renee McGee, Tamara James. You are wonderful people. Thank you so much for your support. And thank you to everyone else who has supported as well. We know that lots of people um, have supported supported us uh, at the $5 a month level. Uh, again, we do send everybody a message, so we do want to congratulate you on being part of this great show. It really has We been- really cannot do it without you, and we hope the sound is better. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much for listening. Please do share this episode, do like, do comment, talk to your friends about it. If you want to support the show, jump onto the Buy Me A Coffee page. Uh, If you have any issues, send us a message. If you've got any ideas, a big, big thank you to the listener who sent us that De Spiegel piece this You morning. made Ben's day. Listen really phenomenal. I, I feel like the journalism degree has come in handy again because that felt like a real piece of journalism <laughs> there. Um, so thank you so much to everybody. Uh, don't forget to listen to The Weekend Wrap uh, on Sunday afternoon. That's just with me. Don't forget to check out Van on the Today Show tomorrow morning. You can read her latest piece in The Guardian. You Don't forget to buy QAnon and On, A Short and Shocking History of Internet Conspiracy Cults, an Australian bestseller. And I think that's just about all the things we're going to plug. So once again, just want to thank everybody. Don't forget to join your union. Stay safe. Look after each other. Wear your masks. Take care. Love you, Vanny. Oh, I love you too. And I love this puppy. Look at him. (laughs) Bye. Bye.